One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Welcome to the NBA Daily Ding on the Athletic NBA Show. Ding, ding. How about we can just watch basketball? I like that idea. Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. I'm your host, Mo DeKeele. With me is Law Murray. We're going to recap what was probably some really bad basketball from Thursday night. Uh, no way to sugarcoat it. We're going to start with the Boston Celtics completely ripping the hearts out of the Milwaukee Bucks. New Orleans taking on the Jokerless Denver Nuggets. And we'll talk playing. But before we get started, Law, how are you doing, man? I feel better than the Milwaukee Bucks, that's for sure. Well, I mean, there's no way to really kind of sugarcoat it. From the very beginning of this game, the Celtics just jumped all over Milwaukee. They put up 140 on them, dude. 140 to 99 went a 41-point just drubbing from the Boston Celtics in Milwaukee. This was a pretty this was a game I was very excited for. And I'm gonna be honest, I'd like my money back. I'll tell you what, I actually thought the first quarter was all right for the most part. You know, like they they went a little bit back and forth for I think the first eight minutes of the game or so. And I think when the benches came in, that's when things got a little bit sideways for for the Bucks, but the second quarter when I think it was Jalen Brown who just did or Jason really went off in the second quarter, just did whatever he kind of wanted. Um got hot from three, got to the free throw line a ton, which when you're playing the Bucks, I mean, one guy getting six free throws, I mean, that doesn't really happen for a whole game a lot of the times. Um they really struggled on that end of the floor with just the basic stuff that they do. And then when you got two guys combined for 28 points uh, to outscore the Bucks by themselves in the third quarter, that was it. And I think the Celtics knew that that was it because they maxed Jalen and Jason out in that third quarter. And it became a three-quarter game. So uh, I know, Mo, that you're probably going to just be upset about the fact that because the schedule was the way it was, like the Celtics, they spelled blood in the water and knew if they hit those dudes with a big run. And I, I'm saying the, the run came late, but those dudes, Jalen and Jason, 70 points through three quarters, that was powerful. That was that was brutal, but I'll tell you what, this game was over at halftime. They didn't even need the third quarter. It was 75-47 at the half. The Milwaukee yeah. Bucks couldn't make a shot from three. Three of 22 in the first half. At for the game, ended up finishing 14 of 43 for a team that's so dependent on the three ball. It's just when they're not making shots, their offense just ends up looking terrible. And then on the flip side, the Boston Celtics were red hot from three. Everybody was hitting shots. Like you said, it was Jalen Brown in the first quarter. It was Jason Tatum in the second quarter. And then they combined their powers in the third quarter to really kind of push everything over the top. Like that was just brutal. So let me ask you this big picture. Because this is the teams. These are the one and two seats. This is the teams we're expecting probably see in the Eastern Conference Finals. What does this mean in the big pictures for Boston and Milwaukee if they're going to end up in May? Uh, it just it, it just means that if they do meet up, they know they know what it is. They've met in the playoffs before, uh, and uh, it's not the first time that they've seen each other this regular season. Obviously, uh, I I just feel like you get a game like this. And it definitely it, it definitely sends a bit of a message. I mean, you know, the last game these teams played was 
in overtime on Valentine's Day. And that was a, obviously a, a great game. So it's it's just if you're if you're the Celtics, it, the way they played up and down, it's nice for them to say, OK, we're really starting to shape up like they haven't lost back to back games since uh, the first week of this month. And Mo, I think you're going to probably hit on what part of the schedule this was for Milwaukee. For Milwaukee, it's like whatever. They didn't really have it. For the Celtics, I think they needed another game like this just as a message to be like, we're that team. When we're playing the style of basketball, we have our guys out on the floor. We can we we can execute. It doesn't matter what building we're playing in. I think that meant a whole lot more to the Celtics. Um, they're meaningful uh, as far as what their ceiling could be than I'm going to have as far as an indictment on Milwaukee, even though Milwaukee played uh, really bad basketball after the <laughs> really, first eight minutes of the game. Really bad basketball from their bench, and you've hinted, hinted at it a few times. Yeah, I think this was just a product of really kind of bad scheduling from the NBA. This is the Milwaukee's fifth game in seven nights, coming off a of back-to-back against Indiana, where – no doubt, they kind of chased Drew Holiday going for 51. Maybe, on in hindsight, maybe should have rested those guys a little bit more, having more juice to play Boston the next night. But I think the thing that really kind of frustrates me is we kind of knew from the beginning of the year that, hey, this is probably going to be a pretty big game. When the NBA is putting this on the schedule, I don't think it's fair to put this as a back-to-back game. And this is the second time this happened to them really in the past week. Their game against the Nuggets was on the second night of a back-to-back after playing in Utah. I feel like right. there's – it's just – I wish the scheduling makers would do a little bit better here in that instance of, hey, we know some of these games are going to be really big. Let's make sure we kind of create the opportunity. And for a national TV game, maybe both teams shouldn't be coming in off of a back-to-back in that instance. Maybe you know everybody should be able to have one night of rest going into the national TV game because you want to put your best foot forward. And we all know clearly, clearly, Milwaukee did not put their best foot forward. But I don't want to take anything away from Boston because they came out and they honestly just put it on them the entire time. Look, I covered a team last year that had five instances of five games in seven days. And I remember as a traveling writer for the first time in my career, uh, I was actually in Memphis and then going to New Orleans the next night. Uh, same trip I'm on now, actually. Um, I, I remember the just the wall that I hit when I got to New Orleans. Me and Andrew Graff of the LA Times were sitting next to each other because we were both on all these at all these games. And this was early in the season. And we just died. We had Forget midseason form. We we couldn't we we were not in the condition as writers to cover five <laughs> games in seven days. I mean, we're late in the season and they scheduled this intense five and seven for the Bucks. Again, Utah, they can be playing however they want to play. And we saw how they started that trip. They dropped 144 on the Jazz when they started that trip. But it's still, you're still playing in altitude. They play the next night in Denver. Against Nicola and them, they get smacked. Okay. Then they go to the Eastern time zone in Detroit and it's Detroit. They breasted a bunch of dudes for that game. And then they go to Indiana. You're still in the Eastern time zone for that game. And you saw what happened Wednesday night. And then you come back home. And that's another time shift, Central time zone game for Milwaukee. And that is another disadvantage. And so, the NBA has done a really nice job of eliminating the five and sevens. For instance, the Clippers don't have a single 
instance of five games in seven days, I guarantee you that's not going to be the case next year because, <laughs> you know, L.A. Pay Clippers. It, but Pay it back. <laughs> exactly. Oh, last year in that arena, too? Shoot. You don't get everything is worth. But that's another story. Um, the fact of the matter is the NBA will always have some room to improve as far as the schedule. And this entire month, Mo, you're talking about teams that March, the March national schedule, they should be intriguing matchups, especially the interconference ones. You know, uh, we could say the same thing with Denver, Philadelphia. I mean, Philadelphia had a pretty rough schedule going into the Denver game. That's one reason Joel didn't play. You know, everyone's going to be like, oh, you you duck the smoke. But what happens with Joel every April? That dude's always significantly under 100 percent. So you you got to pick your poison. And the NBA has got to recognize when the big games are and most specifically where the teams are in the schedule when those games are scheduled. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Yeah, I think that's just a, a big one. But you mentioned Denver, which transition perfectly takes us to the next game. The you Denver like did that, huh? You, it worked perfectly. It worked perfectly. This is you're a professional. I expect nothing less. Okay. And Denver versus the New Orleans Pelican. But right before tip off, we find out no Nikola Jokic. He's got a bit of a calf strain. He's sitting out. Okay, no problem. Let's see what the Denver Nuggets have without the potential MVP. And let's just be honest, they didn't have very much. They got pretty, it was never really that threatening. You know, it wasn't a blowout, but it wasn't really close. You know, the the Pelicans did a good job behind Brandon Ingram with his second career triple-double. 31 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists from Ingram to carry the Pelicans. And I mean, the Nuggets with no Jokic just had no offensive firepower. Look, man, Jamal Murray made four or 10 threes. His teammates went 0 for 18. 0 for 18. You haven't seen a Denver game all season where they failed to break 90 points until tonight. And one of the games where they didn't break 100, they actually did go to New Orleans earlier this year and get a a one-point win. And so what was nice is, despite Brandon Ingram going completely off, despite the fact that CJ made more threes than the entire Denver Nuggets team in Colorado, mind you, like I thought this was a fair defensive effort by, by the Denver Nuggets, but it's a damn shame that you know, that team is so rudderless without Nicola. And I hate the MVP conversation in general. Uh, you don't see no tweets about that from me. But I will mention that what I especially dislike is when guys get rewarded because uh, their coaching staffs and their teammates have absolutely no idea what to do when they are on the floor or inactive. Um, this is an example here where praise Nicola for the impact he has on the floor. But off-court stuff, like, they shouldn't be this bad without their main guy. I mean, they've had years of practice of playing without Nikola Jokic, and these dudes still couldn't come through. It's a damn shame. And they better hope 
that Nicola is going to be fine in April. Yeah, I mean, this was this was pretty rough. The Nuggets, only 17 points in the first quarter, only 18 points in the fourth quarter. Like, that's just not going to get it done with everything that they have, with the poor shooting and everything that goes with it. But this was a pretty big win for the Pelicans, who have been playing pretty solid basketball as of late. This moves them up to seventh in the playing tournament as the standings go. And that's, let's just be honest, the playing tournament or the standings in the Western Conference in general is basically musical chairs. So right now it's Pelicans seven, Wolves eight, and they got some bad news just re- just breaking Nas Reed with a broken wrist after he tried to dunk in Denver. He's going to miss some, some He's going to miss some significant time. That's going to be a big blow for them. The Lakers at ninth, Oklahoma at 10, and the Mavs sitting at the 11th spot. Let me ask you right now, Law, very quickly before we go, who's making the playing tournament? Making the playing tournament, that's like who's who's going to be in purgatory after they die. Uh, I think the teams that are in there now, that's probably who you're going to get. Um, I can't trust Dallas. The Mavs on the outside. Yeah. I can't I, I can't trust Dallas um, because Oklahoma City, I'm not sure how significant Shea Gilgis Alexander's ankle injury is. I don't believe he's going to be playing Friday, but I do think that they might wind up holding on to that spot because Dallas is a bit rudderless right now. Um, Dallas has as many losses as Utah and Utah. I, I feel like they shadow pulled the plug a week ago. Um, the Lakers, um, less said about them, the better. Uh, the, the Timberwolves, the fortunate thing with them is they lose Nas, but they get Cat back and Kyle Anderson can absolutely step in. So um, it's really awful timing for Nas Reed, but at least Minnesota has a couple of guys in Rudy Gobert and Cat where they can be big for 48 minutes if they choose to be. And New Orleans is going to be a threat to move up. I think the big game is going to be Saturday, Clippers, Pelicans, but um, the Clippers, they got a big win. Wednesday night at Memphis without Kawhi Leonard. They gave them a little bit of breathing room. I think the Clippers could hold on to their top six and Golden State just beat the Pelicans. That was huge because if they didn't, we'd be talking the Pelicans in the top six and Golden State down there at seven. So that's where that, that's where I'm at. I'm going to I'm going to choose uh, uh, stability and say that things are going to remain where they are. Wow. A NBA playoffs without Luka Doncic would be really interesting to see how that goes over in Dallas. But that's it for us. Make sure you stay locked into the Athletic Podcast Network. That's Law Murray. He covers the Clippers for us here at theathletic.com. Make sure to go read all of his fabulous writings. And a big thank you to Danielle Lehman for producing the podcast tonight. Law, take us away. Ding, ding.